Hey, today is episode 312, and I am excited to have Thomas Jockin on, and we're going to have him on in a second. But I wanted to tell you who today is sponsored by. Today is sponsored by my favorite plugin to use with WordPress is the Elementor plugin. It works with almost any WordPress plugin and it makes it any theme invincible. This plugin has changed the way I've able to design websites. The plugin is the Elementor plugin. Where other plugins have fallen short, Elementor uses common sense and is easy to understand and implement with. So I hope you love it as much as me. There's a free version. And then when you're ready to buy the real version, click on this link, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash capital D, capital R, Elementor. And on with the show. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host, Diane Gibbs, and I'm here with my friend, Thomas Jockin, and I can't wait. I love, I'm passionate about reading, and I hated reading as a kid, and I think this this probably would have helped me. Um, I fell in love with reading when I was in college. And so that's really what we're going to be talking about and how Thomas fits into this picture of this researcher, uh, Bonnie, who's here. So I'm really glad you're here, Bonnie. And then um, how he kind of fit into the picture. And then di Design Recharge played the little bitty part. So I'm excited that we, because <laughs> we did, I had forgotten to hit record. And then Thomas was so nice that he recorded again the following Saturday. Again, the exact same answers. Well, he probably changed them up a little bit, but not Maybe better. He, yeah, he wasn't <laughs> lying ever. Um, but but it was so it was a pain for him to have to do that, I know. So I really appreciate it. And I bet Bonnie appreciates it too, because she found him. So Thomas is he's uh, an educator, he is a type designer. He's worked for Google designing some of the uh, fonts. And so Thomas, give us just a tiny bit of your background. If you were in line at a Starbucks, or if you don't drink coffee, you're in line getting a drink somewhere, what would you tell somebody like if they said, oh, what do you do? Well, I basically, it's everything related to type. I love teaching type, I love talking about type, and I love making type. So if I could summarize it, it's really those three parts of it. Like you said, I teach at McCuny System in Queens, uh, Queens College and City College. Uh, I run an organization called Type Thursday. We have eight cities around the world, four United States, four in Europe, uh, where they meet once a month and they discuss work in progress related to letter forms that goes all the way down to typeface design to the highest level of branding and everything in between. And I'm a practicing typeface designer since 2010. Uh, I started as an apprentice at Darn Studio and I've been, I've been independent since then. Uh, so some of my clients are Starbucks, Boat Locker, and Express on, on custom projects. And I've been commissioned with Google to do different projects. Uh, I was on the Design Research shows, I think it was three years ago, Diane, yeah. uh, for uh, a, an improvement project with the Google font directory. And uh, from that, and actually from that project and our conversation, Diane, uh, Dr. Bonnie Shaver True found me and we became a partnership together on a project she's been working on for over 20 years called Lexan. And that was released on Google fonts uh, about a month ago, I believe. And the reception has been very exciting to see. So tell them, um, all right. So I think Bonnie watched the show or saw the interview or heard it. And then she was like, ooh, this is somebody I could work with. So how did that happen? Um, I think I was trying to, um, because, you know, it's, it's really, it's a kind of neat way for me. It feels like a little part that I played and I'm just so thankful you. A little part, it's all the parts. I mean, a lot of ways it was, the, it, I mean, I even do this for a very long time, you know, and 
I think if you do something consistently well for a long period of time, something really great comes out of it eventually. And this, this is actually a demonstration of it, in my opinion. Uh, you know, because there, Bonnie was able to find me because of your podcast. It was a very important contributing factor for this great collaboration. So it's the power of online communications and, and kind of the good, the good service you've been doing all this time. So I think also I want to just thank you personally for everything you've been doing. And I'm sure Bonnie feels the same way. Well, thank you. So I'm super excited because I think I had such a hard time reading as a kid. Um, so this is really, it hits home. So uh, this was something that Bonnie, and we're going to do a part two. Bonnie said yes. Thomas has said yes. So just know that there's going to be a part two for the patrons. You guys can come watch um, kind of the digging in. So I'm going to ask Thomas some of these questions. He's going to get more general, but at least three of these questions, Bonnie's going to get dig into more. So I'm excited, Bonnie, to have you digging in. And I'm excited that everybody else has come. Um, so can you just, so Bonnie contacts you via email, phone, how does she get in touch with you? And what does she say to you? Well, the real minutiae was, I remember it was actually a message, an incoming message from Dribble, which I didn't really use besides, I, I did it for promotion for the Google font project three years ago. I haven't touched it since. Um, so it was from there and it was just this woman. And I'm like, okay, fascinating. Uh, not really much at the time. And then we had the initial meeting and it, I was very dumbstruck at the rigor of her thinking. And more importantly, from her background, she started from an educational therapist background and basically was working with children at help and noticing they're struggling to read. And the, the first thing was, she pointed out to me, was the nature of the problem. And the nature of the problem was out of a magnitude that I, I kind of knew instinctively, but was not presented to me in a very concrete manner. For example, the U.S. Department of Education reports that 64% of U.S. students are, have reading difficulties of some kind. Some extremely severe, other ones just super, significant different difficulties. Uh, basically, the, what I'm getting at here is they're not, they're not proficient at reading. And it could be, because me and you talked about this a little bit, it could be that it was slow readers, or it could be comprehension, or it could be, and th that was... Those were two of my things. I could read yeah. the words, but I wasn't comprehending what the paragraph when grab, was about. When grabbing at it, yeah. Right. Yeah, Bonnie will definitely speak much more about the science behind this and the, and the, and the, the schema model of communication uh, involved here uh, in, the next, in the second call. But what I will say from my perspective, uh, that educators have been aware of this problem of this lack of, of reading proficiency of about 64%. Uh, for the last 60 years. So it was not even like web, the internet screwing things over or screens or anything, like none of this having an effect. This has been, this has been the case for a while. We've known this. Um, the methods within, within the educator disciplines, right? psychology and education, uh, they have very robust models in terms of understanding on communications and length and the reading experience, right? From, from phonetics to vocabulary to fluency, comprehension and writing but their method of trying to help teach students how to read was struggling. And there were many attempts, very goodwill attempts to try to solve that problem. For example, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation invested half a billion dollars, $573 million for teacher effectiveness training related to methods of helping teachers become more effective in teaching how to read and write. And they were not effective by their own account. It was lackluster results. So with all this like, authority and money dumped into it, but never working, Bonnie had what seems the most simplistic of points that was not agreed to at all within the disciplines at all at the time, 20 years ago. 
was what if we change the font? What if it's the typography that's affecting the outcome here, not the content and not the teaching methods? And she, that very simple, it seemed very simple, but that one change changes the entire game. And Bonnie was then demonstrating through 20 years of practice and research that, that she can produce instantaneous improvement in reading proficiency with changing a font according to what she's patented as the Shaver True formulations. And it doesn't matter what, what the, um, cause they were worried that it was content or it was the way the teachers were teaching, but they hadn't thought about maybe changing the font. And really this is not just, Oh, well, once you pass third grade, you don't need this font anymore. This is actually something that everybody reads at different rates. So this would help me read better if I set the font the way that I I could set it, correct? Is that what you Yes, that's actually one of the main, that's actually, so there's a couple of major points what Bonnie contributed from my perspective as a type designer. One was uh, these, the part of the reason why, and to be fair to educators and psychologists and all the other disciplines, the reason why that they were very offhand about the typo typographic factors, typography being such a huge influence, was because it seemed like so hard to measure. How do you know? How would you know it's a better font or not? Even within, even within public education where font accommodations are allowed, like font, increase in font size in individual education plans, for example, the, this, the assessment of how it's effective or not is, is an objective opinion of the students saying, oh, I like this better. That's not, that, that kind of, that's not enough rigor for what's being asked here. But what Bonnie contributed was a clear demonstration that the measurement that's used in educator education called fluency can be mapped directly to typographic factors. That's so, gigantic. So explain the word fluency, because I, I thought about it. I was like, oh, what do you, because I was like, well, I know the English language, but explain, because you, yeah. you gave me some great examples. Yeah. So, yeah. so tell us some of those. Well, the, just to describe what fluency is, is a basic uh, understanding by metaphor. One will it be when you're, think about when you're riding a bike, any learned skill, because reading is a learned skill. You said you reference English, but that's the thing. It's very important. You would think they're the same, the ability to speak a language and to read and write. They're not. They're right. completely different skill sets. One happens naturally occurring in culture, mm -hmm. and the other is a learned skill. No different than swimming or riding a bike. Right. So using the bike analogy, when you're first learning to ride a bike, it's any learned skill is incredibly awkward. It's very, I mean, it takes a lot of mental load, and you have to go really slow to process what's occurring. And you're, you're really not even grabbing all the details at all. And you certainly can't really get to the point. In you a, don't in start out on the interstate riding your bike, right? Not to, exactly. Right? Yes. On your driveway where no cars are coming. So, so there's the difficulty, right? Or the safety version when you're reading. Yeah, our training wheels. That's the point. You yeah. basically help you overcome your lack of fluency. Accommodations are made. Training wheels. That's the way to think about it. The... The, now that just that's just a qual a qualitative way to understand what I mean by fluency. Now, how again, what Bonnie was able to align what educators use for measuring fluency is a measurement called words correct per minute. When a subject is reading a, a piece of text, what they do is they count, you know, how many words were said out loud over the course of a certain duration of time. You can simplify by saying by the minute, right? But you can do longer. Let's say it took you 20 minutes to read it, you know they might divide it, whatever, how many words you said by that time. Now, the additional element added in is words, words uh, correct words per minute. So it means correct words. So it means if you, if you struggle, did you, did you stutter? But basically, a teacher is observing 
when you're reading out loud text, if you're struggling or having any issues with the text, and when they and then they subtract that number from the total word count rate, what was said, or, and then divided by the minutes it took to do it. That's a rough. That's the rough math to produce a word correct per minute, and that's what they can show. And that's that's the exact quantifiable measurement of what fluency is. When you're more fluent, you can say more words correct per minute. When you're less fluent, you say less. You you do that number is less. So and it has nothing to do with your if you're smart or you're not smart, this just is like me being fluent in Italian. It's going to take me longer to get fluent in Italian to read it or to hear it and speak it than it is. It just takes time, right? It has nothing. It Well, you, you kind of mean two things. Like one was like your degree of intelligence and one was speaking a different language, right? But I will say if you're, if you're learning a second language, it's exactly the same phenomenon, actually even more so because you're actually there. You're, that's the thing. They might speak a different a foreign language. You're at the beginning. It's incredibly exhausting because every single thing is a labored mental activity. That's a lack of fluency. So that's an example of that, right? Now you said about uh, you know intelligence. Now there's certainly within education benchmarks. They certain they they have certain benchmarks. They use the fluency measurement of words per per minute to assess. Bonnie can speak more about this. Uh, they have benchmarks for grades, right? But that's, the, that's a separate discussion from you as a person, right? You as a person have a fluency, basically, measurement generated from a text, right? And the main, the main innovation of what Bonnie was producing from her studies and method was mapping typographic, typographic factors to a fluency factor measured in words correct per minute. That's, that's the major, one of the major revolutions she did was to allow typographers and typography to be, have a quantifiable demonstration in a metric used by an outside discipline that's recognized, in this case, educators. So this, right. is a class, this is a huge point about not being in a silo, but, be, but being able to speak cross-discipline to help, to help people. Because the whole purpose of read of typography is comprehension, literally. It's to be able to read and communicate both content, messaging, and emotive quality. So this is a massive step in my, in my opinion of the discipline of typography by this, by this practice alone, regardless of the actual complex in itself. All right. So then she says, let's do this. And, um, because I want to get to variable, but I want you to tell them the analogy about reading the typeface. Cause really this is, yeah. this is a type, uh, cause some people may not know what a variable font is. So wasn't important that it was a sans serif or wasn't important you know, I think that we're taught or what we're shown as kids, if I pulled out a kid's book, it's usually serif. And we're taught in type classes that people are, um, it's the shape of the word as a whole that we're seeing. And so maybe that's not how we're, what the science is portraying or showing now. But Lexend is a, is a sans serif typeface, correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. So well, I'd love to know why, but I want you to tell me about the glasses. Well, sure. I mean, as an analogy, we talk off the, we off the record about that. So the, the other major, I think, inf the major understanding that Bonnie brought, that once I understood Bonnie's research and her methods, really grabbed me in a major point, was the idea of, we think that when we do typography and typesetting, we implicitly are assuming one font, one setting is the best setting, right? We've, we've matured our understanding a little bit to say, okay, we understand type for a, a, a laptop is different from type in a phone, like on, on your iPhone. 
they're not going to be typo typographically done the same way. They have to be different because of the viewport and how the dimensions work. But it's, well, it's a little improvement. But this goes even further. It's the reality that there's no ideal model of one font that's perfect for everybody. The analogy I would use is it's no different than assuming there's one eyeglasses. We're both wearing eyeglasses, Diane. If you read, it's apparently absurd to assume that our eyeglass prescription would work right for both of us. Like exactly, but yet we think our font should too. Our font should work the same. See, that's the massive paradigm shift. Now, this is not to say there's not some like loosey-goosey shenanigans where like it's a wild west and there's no reason, no logic, no principles to guide our practice in any sense. And it just, this is just a game of subjective opinions, not the case at all. There's still a guiding principle that holds. And it's the idea of spacing, right? That, but it's just like at, at the eye doctor where first, you say, is this easier or harder? Do you, is this easy? And it is subjective for every person. My eyeglasses, it's how I'm for, if it's how I'm uh, able to communicate if I'm able to see that better. It is subjective to me, but it's well, only for me. Right? Sort of. In this, well, no, because this, your, 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 your autometrist is assessing you. Like if you can see the letters down the screen and I think you can memorize what's on there and you just, whatever. But I would actually say this is actually an improvement from even that experience. Cause that experience actually still requires mm -hmm. a kind of subjective attitudinal agreement that this is better or worse. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Lexan with this words correct per minute is moving to a quantitative demonstration independent of your judgment, subjective judgments mm -hmm. of what's better and worse. So this is actually better than the analogy of the eyeglasses. The eyeglasses are just meant to get to the point of understanding that, Lexan basically increases intensity of spacing, both inside the letter form and between the letter forms. And it does it kind of like eyeglass prescriptions. There's less intense prescriptions and more intense prescriptions, right? That's the point, is that it's the same idea as occurring, but just increasing intensity. And some users need a minimal intensity, and some users need aggressive intensity, right? So, it's about, so therefore, one, like I, one eyeglass is not reasonable for every user, every single person to use one font is not reasonable for everybody. So fonts need to be treated as a series that had to be, have to be made to fit, to be the optimal fit for the specific user. So this is the next level of responsive typography, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of being responsive to the viewport, it is now responsive to the user. And that varies not only to like your, your state of life. For example, when you're for a ch children and the elderly need more intensive interventions, but quite frankly, even normal adults, as you said, you know, if you have eye fatigue or are tired at the end of the day and there's a low lighting, you actually, there's actually those are stressors on your ability to, to, for fluency and comprehension. So as a result, you actually, in those particular situations, you actually might need a little more augmentation via the Lexan series to find your optimal fit, right? Versus normal, a normal, in your normal situation. So there's a kind of fluidity within the individual, let alone groups. So what did Bonnie say to you that you were like, oh my goodness, this is different than me just doing a typeface? Because this this is, it's very responsive. Um, what did she say to you that really got you like, oh my goodness, I think I know what you're talking about? Or, well, there are two parts. Yeah, yeah, there are two parts. I mean, part one, the reason why I knew the, ma I mean, one, when she presented to me the magnitude of the problem. And by the way, I didn't, even cl I didn't close on the point about what's the consequences of this. First of all, there's 30 million adults who have a reading level below third grade in the United States alone. In the world, it's, 700, it's 750 million. So we're getting, we're almost to a billion people who don't have basically reading ability. 
And the consequence for not having reading is, you know, lower, lower income, most likely to drop out of college, high school or, or school education, and four times worse health outcomes. So these have material public policy impacts on people, let alone the nature of that civilization and culture was dependent on language and writing. That's the case. So basically, these people are not even able to access, let alone the most basic things of the world, but the better things like Aristotle or, or, or Shakespeare and the greater arts of the world that make the world a beautiful thing. They don't have access to it because they can't read. So that's, that first of all, from just a principle, moral point of view, it really drew me the importance of this problem from that side. And the other side was from Bonnie's complete lack of design training at all, she had revealed a principle of typography that as a practicing type designer, I just knew, I grasped it completely. It was, the right, it was unconventional what she was doing, but it still aligned to the principles I was taught as a type designer. And that was why I knew the stakes were, the significance of what was going on. Not only were the, the, the cause so good, the path she went down, the aim she targeted at was actually correct without her knowing <laughs> in a bizarre way. Uh, and it, so and kind of in a similar way for me reciprocally in terms of my understanding of statistics, and cognitive psychology, I, at the time when Bonnie talked to me, I had no idea about any of that. And I was idea about like comprehension and fluency and decoding, I had no idea about any of that. Uh, so even with that, my knowledge of those, I was able to grasp the point of what was going on. And it was a very beautiful relationship uh, under, of mutual understanding, even though we came from very different backgrounds and disciplines of training. So what was she doing that was, what was right, that you were impressed that somebody who without training was understanding this about typography the spacing that was a huge one a lot of people think it's all black space i mean a very classic example i don't mean to i'm very positive about people most of the time but like for example like the typical example of a font that would solve these kind of problems would be dyslexia or open mm -hmm. dyslexia open dyslexic uh the problem is the reason why type designers hate them so much and we get so mad about them um is because they're focusing on the black contours they think violating typographic principles will solve the problem. And we're like, no, it's not. And the things you result, the pauses you're getting are not, they're not, they're not right. They're placebo effects. Uh, so that's why there's a lot of frustration about this problem. But the other side of spacing and proportion, that's everywhere. Every type designer would agree to that point. In fact, one of the major hallmarks of a great type designer is their understanding of the spacing proportions. That is the ultimate, that's kind of the one of the key indicators. One is that, and the other ones are, is their nature of proofing. Those are the two ways you could you could really find out very established and knowledge type designer is when they understand those two ideas. The method of understanding by proofing and their understanding of spacing. Those are the, really the two major ideas. So when Bonnie came to that point, without any training, I knew this was the real deal. Yeah, she wasn't faking it. She was really trying to help. So can you show us, Lexan, and then yeah, sure. talk to us a little bit about what is a variable font? All right, so give me a second. Da, da, da. All right, cool. So actually, I I'll use the presentations that we used at, at IceType when I lectured about this. So Lexan's a variable font empirically shown to significantly improve uh, reading proficiency. All right, so... As I said before, only 36% of students are reading proficient according to the U.S. Department of Education. As we said, reading proficiency is measured in fluency as we just went over. We have a simulation here of how this works. Let's say your reading proficiency was 200 words per minute. This gives you a sense of where it would feel like. And notice those red slashes are simulating your errors. 
right? And we can see down here, this automatic calculation occurring, where it's telling you how many words, the time you read, how many words are read, how many errors are occurring, and it's generating the estimated words correct per minute in this case. Okay. This gives you the whole, the entire math breakdown of how, what I said earlier on the present discussion with you. So Lexan basically applies the shape of true formulations. And as you can see here, what's happening is the, the font is changed. There's a series where the fonts are expanding both inside the letter forms and between the letter forms. So notice in the space of the D, for example, notice uh, the first example, the enter counter, and notice in, in this last setting here, how wide it is. So think of it as basically tracking and moving to expanded at the same time in a certain proportion uh, of increasing intensity. So you would need it bigger or wider expanded for if you were uh, new or you were, um, it was dark and you were at the end of the day, is that when you would need it? Yes, but different intensities, right? So obviously beginning students need very aggressive intensity. Younger ages with first learning skills need a very aggressive intensity. Maybe a native speaker, a reader who does, who's pretty, who's very good. They can make it not as intense. But by the way, Lexan works for everybody. In studies that Bonnie has done, students in the 99th percentile of reading still found improvement in Lexan. Wow. So it happens to everybody. That's my, that's, you can't deny spacing. It's, the tr it's, it's a very beautiful thing because it's so true. So the, the main it idea- Was difficult because you were doing something spacing-wise? I mean, it no. It's only in the sense of, not really, to be honest with you. Because I it was so understood. different, I guess, maybe than how you normally do. I mean, I know oh, spacing oh. is, but it's just like, it's like starting from the backwards sort of and going up or you're just attacking it from a different side of the problem, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, talking to Bonnie about it, it was pretty straightforward, really. Because basically, you got you have you basically draw two masters, one in a regular state, and one in this. You follow the formula. <laughs> it's just like I said. It's it, I understood the principles of it, so I really wasn't that side. I wasn't that unusual about it, but I will admit it was unconventional. I mean, it's very bizarre to like design and increase side bearings and in the in the design with the expansion because normally expanded tie faces maintain or actually tighten their side bearings as they get wider. So this is the, that's the that's the that's the switch up from the normal setup. But I mean, I, I understood what it was trying to do and I thought it was the, it, it apparently even demonstrated work. So let's do it. So I did it. Uh, we did a study, Bonnie did a study with the fonts with 23rd graders. Uh, we had, they basically all, they had text set at, at, at 16 point with a control times new Roman. And you change the text for each font because the problem is if you give everyone the same text to read, their fluency will go up naturally because they're just right. more used to the text. So that was controlled. A lot, all the variables were controlled. So the only thing being tested was you change the font. What happens against Times New Roman? And this is the result. So what we're seeing here, so I want to move my preview box so I can see the whole thing. Um, what's happening here is we have the 19 students were measured because 21 had a fail. Uh, There's an error in the reading, so we couldn't put it in the study. So of 19 that were actually measured, as you can see here, the gray bars are times new Roman. So in this student, for example, number three, they had a words correct per minute in times new Roman of 149. With Lexan, it went up to 175. Wow. Uh, we have other students, for example, this one, student 12, they went from 178 to 199. 
So what's happening is this, this Lexan, this is basically what, this is their best result of Lexan. So Lexan is being treated as a group, as a series against Times New Roman. Were they able to vary it or it was printed out? It was printed. So these were static modes and the modes studied were these four. Okay. Yeah. So this was a limited scope study. This wasn't right. even the full potential, right? right? So this is still static modes. We'll talk about variable fonts in a second about that. So these were the other conclusions from the study. So 19, out of the 19, 17, 17 did better with Lexan versus Times New Roman. Two did do best with Times New Roman. So this is very important. This is, I mean, any proper study should show you that nothing's 100% successful. Right. No medicine is 100% successful. There's always drawbacks. Now, I will say those two that did have less, worse, that had worse decreasing results with Lexan as a series versus Times New Roman, if I could find them on the chart really quickly, their decrease was about 4% the worst. Oh, yeah. Uh, number six and yeah, number 10? Or... Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah they went from, one, from 116 to 154, for example. Yeah, but there were two. Yeah, it wasn't very much, very minimal. Exactly. And that's what you're trying to look for. A good principle in design is kind of from engineering. You want, a minute, you want to look for costs and benefits for, for, for integration for activities or interventions. This is relatively minor uh, harm of about 4%. You can switch the font to Times of Roman and call it a day. Right. Like no one's, there's no harm here. <laughs> uh, but with Lexan, on the highest end, the people with the most success got almost a, a, 40, a, a 49% uh, improvement. So we have a ma very maximal gain with very minimal harm so far. So of the so two did best with Times New Roman. And then here's what's really interesting, Diane, was that there was this distribution of which one of the Lexan series was the best. This is what I met by the iClass example. Not everyone, it wasn't like one Lexan setting was the best. Now there was one that had the majority that had the, had the most number, Lexan Mega in this case, mm -hmm. in, in the intensity, but that's still not a majority. Right. That's, that's not the majority of 20. Uh, so there was, it was two in the regular, one in Deca, nine in Mega, and five in Giga. So there's almost like this bell curve effect occurring. A distribution, of basically, of what's the optimal fit to the reader. And as a group, the whole study, the average words correct per minute with Times New Roman was 110. With Lexan was a 128. That's about a 20% improvement just by changing the font. That's mm -hmm. all that happened. Do you know how expensive that would be? with teaching interventions of tutoring and time and all this effort, all this struggle, and you could just, with the right tool, just boom. It's like switching from just a normal hammer to a power saw, right? Yeah. It's exactly, so it's going from like a normal hand tool to a power tool. Just think about how much this would help a kid who was struggling if they just had this in this font, if they could just print the stuff in this font instead they would be able to finish their tests faster. I mean, that was like a huge thing for me. I was super slow test taker. Yeah, because you have to because also you're under stress, is strained, and you're going through this process where it's actually you're straining the reading process. So I don't, I'm not surprised at all about that. Hmm. Yes. So this now leads to the note where the study was with static fonts, and Bonnie's actually previous work with these fonts before meeting me were static fonts. The set seven, it had seven static fonts moving from minimal intervention to maximum intervention with certain step progressions along the way. But as we're seeing from this study and these results, there appears to be a kind of bell, a distribution. That's, that's a kind of, uh, I don't know if this gap, I'm Bonnie will speak more about this, but it appears to be a distribution of, pe of people in the, in the sample that uh, for their best fit. 
So in reality, I, when, this is another thing when Bonnie talked about this project and I started producing the font, I say, Bonnie, I don't think we're done yet. I produced the font, but we're not done. And I'll tell you why. The first thing is, these fonts are static. This must be a variable font. It's not, it would, it would be nice to be a variable font. No, it must be. It absolutely must be. And the reason why is the ultimate distinction about a variable font and a normal font and why there's any, why is it worth, what's going on here? Normal fonts are discrete. You get one and another. So you think regular, bold. There's nothing in between. You get the two modes and that's it. It's like going from number one to number two. Mm -hmm. Or in this case with Lexan, from Deca to Exa, right? You get one step. That's all you get. Right. Variable fonts are continuous. It lets you get everything in between from those two ranges within uh, by the decimal point. So instead of going from one to two, you can go to 1 1.1, 1.12, 1.1112. You know, it gets you much more finer green details. This is actually superior. Think back to the eyeglass example. You don't get like seven settings of font of eyeglasses. <laughs> I the numbers it's much finer than that. It's not like crazy fine. This is why I actually this is actually a better product than eyeglasses in that way because mm -hmm. we can get down with by math down to the decimal point of precision of what's your optimal fit to you, to you as an individual person, Diane, as an example, right. or to the individual that individual child struggling with learning how to read. That unless it's a variable font, we cannot unleash that potential. It must be variable font. So I saw this, I went to my contact at Google, David Crossland, who runs the Google font team. I pitched the project. He was, and I got Bonnie on the call with us to verify the, the research. He was like, give me your numbers. Let's go. Let's make this happen. And I was like, Dave, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's make the world better. Because uh, I knew how I'm serious. Because I talked to a lot of my friends who were teachers afterwards at the time. And a lot of them, are, a vast majority of them are using Google Classroom with Google Docs, and Google Slides, and whatnot, and using Chromebooks. So if this is on the Google font directory, we've instantly built a free tool around the world for every teacher, educator, and student, and parent to help, their, help the reading process be better with this font series automatically by doing that. So not only did Google support the variable font development of it, but also getting it on the directory to allow us to be around the world and change how the world reads. It's a really powerful intervention that I'm really proud to be part of. And this is what I'm getting out in terms of the, what happens when we make this a variable font. So what's beautiful, so powerful about it, you can just do this with just one line of CSS code from the front end side. It's super straightforward. Watch this. So I go over my slider. You see how I'm moving? Mm. So notice that instead of being these really abrupt, uh, jump, jumpy moves, that's, that's discrete, it's now continuous. I can move to any number in between these, these slider positions. And notice on the right of your screen, you're seeing the whole typographic factor happen, right? You see what's happening, instead, zoomed out to the whole type of the paragraph, mm -hmm. see the effect. Brian Yan says, I'm sold. How do I get Lexan as Go the Google on my son's Chromebook? So how would he get it as the default? <laughs> Susan says she is too. Yeah, you got with some specific settings you'll have to do in Google Docs and whatnot to make it your defaults. But you basically what you do is here. I'll just demo right now. Uh, Google Docs. So if I wanted to um, if I was making if I was a government agency, let's say and I wanted to make this easy for people to read. I could 
use that simple code of uh, CSS code for my website where Lexend would be the body text for the website. Yeah, I'm going to be very clear though. This is important. It has to be to a personal user, right? Yes. So to be best, to be best used. So you basically need to, it's best used right now on an individual one-on-one -on -one basis. So it's like for your text setting. Just go through the process yourself, you know, and find what you feel most comfortable with. So no world, right? So let's say I have Lex, I basically want to load up the font. When you're in, in your docs, for example, you just click on the font, go to more fonts. I already have them loaded. Right. You just, this comes in, you just type in Lexan. And then just and click it. And yep, and you select all of them in the beginning when you're first finding out what's, which one you like. Press okay. And they're gonna be, when you now go in your drop down. come on. Yep. See there right here? Mm -hmm. There they are, right there, super easy. So really, if I put this in my website, it would still need the person to be uh, the user, the end user to set what they felt like worked for them. Yes, so that's the thing too. We're, we're not done yet, Diane. We got a lot of work to do here with this team with Lexan because one, we have to, we're building, we're building a tool for calibration. So we're, we're gonna help make a tool so that users can go online and find their optimal topographic fit with a partner. So they can basically work together to find what's the best typographic fit for them. And it could be for Lexan or it could be some other font, by the way. That's so cool about the tool. You can try any font you like, but Lex, our, our argument is that Lexan will get you the best results uh, because of this control of spacing so finite uh, or precise compared to the other typographic elements out there. So there's that side, right? But the basic idea is yes, it should be individually done for you as a user. Uh, and then down the road, we're vision, we're looking down the road for big things where we could have automated processes where when a user goes on a screen, there's a kind of the, the computer is observing what's going on in your reading experience and on, on the fly adjusting that typography to be your optimal fit. But that's down the road. That's big dreams. Come sign up to Lexen.com to support the project. We're gonna need everyone's support and sharing and everything else to make that happen. But we have big visions for the future. So is variable fonts, is that, that's not necessarily something new, but what, um, how, do, I mean, Bonnie didn't know about variable fonts, or, or did she? No, she did not, absolutely not. Okay, so then you, you're like, we're not done. We've got to do this other thing. And so, yeah. and that's when you pitch it to Google. Google says yes. So just like Brian wants to get this on his son's uh, Chromebook, it it's, you're going to have to set some things up in your defaults and, and he's going to have to figure out what's, uh, what's best for his son. Right. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Exactly. You know, you, I mean, I recommend, I recommend speaking if he's has, if he's, if his son is with say with a school, with any school help, like say a reading teacher, for example, share this with the school with the with the school teacher. Mm. Absolutely, work with your teachers, work with your partners. We're not here. Listen, teachers are absolutely still essential. I want to make that very clear. It's super important. They're, they're a critical part of the equation. We are merely giving a tool to help people become more successful. We're going from just a handsaw to a power saw. Okay, just right. That, no one's still cutting the board. You just got, you're just giving them a better tool so that they're not struggling to do it. Okay. That's, a, that's, a both the, that's on the both sides of the equation in terms of the student, the parents, and the teacher. So mm -hmm. I would say share this with, the with your reading teacher, reading instructor, teachers, reading help, anyone else, special ed, doesn't matter. Share this with them and have them work and have them do their normal auditing processes with their students. 
using Lexan and find the topographic fit for that per student and have them set those texts to the student. All right, so that's a good uh, actionable step. All right, so this is one of the ones I think that I said, why did you or Bonnie call it Lexand? Yeah, well, Bonnie would definitely, Bonnie named it Lexand, so I think she'll be better when I talk about it in the second okay. uh, post show. I'll ask that. that to her then. Okay, so when somebody's creating a variable font, obviously it's something that is going to change with each user. Is that what gives it the name variable? And obviously this isn't something you're going to be able to print out and unless I'm printing it just for me, right? Well, that's the thing, right? Is that well, one is it's a variable font because it has this quality of continuous selection, mm -hmm. right? And the main thing is that it's not that like, again, this is new variable fonts. It's just that quite frankly, it was just, just like, this was, it was almost like variable fonts were made for this project to be created. Like I'm just being honest. Like it's, it's one of the, I think it's one of the best demonstrations of the utility of variable font technology where it's not even a nice to have or interesting to have this kind of fine-tuned detail of control, we have to have this control because of this nature of individual personal need, an optimal fit. It requires it, both for in terms of, again, populations and for individual subjects, that even you as a person actually change it. You change in your need. It's no, think about when you're on your iPhone and your phone kind of dims when the light gets too bright or, you know, et cetera, like too, too dark. There we go. Sorry, switched it up. When it gets the when the room is too dark, your phone might know automatically to dim itself, so mm -hmm. your eye is not too strained. That is the future we see for Lexan, and the variable font technology is the step to make that happen. It's one of the major ingredients of that equation. So this is a huge deal uh, from my perspective, and not possible without variable font technology. So, I I think I understand what the difference is. Um, this is going to be us individually using it, um, but us setting what is comfortable. Is there right now a place we can go to figure out what's comfortable to us? Not yet. We're working on that now. The first step was to get the fonts out there. I know it's a big project, Diane, but... But there's uh, more than just regular DECA. Uh, you have like, you had others in there like Pixar. Yeah, yes, there's, right? there's seven. Yes, they seven. They go, they go from DECA to Zeta. Uh, their naming, by the way, is based on uh, orders of magnitude. Okay. So that's where, that's where it comes from. So it gets yeah, more yeah. intense. That's yeah. the basic idea. All right. So how? So I'm thinking of uh, an analogy that's probably not good for Bonnie to use, but I'm thinking of like, okay, old typographers that are working on uh, letterpress. They would buy only. They could only afford to buy, you know, a ten point and maybe an eighteen point and a twenty four yeah. and a thirty six. They're not buying. So when we got fonts on the computer, we could choose continuous you know, selection, right? Continuous selection. So that's kind of what it is. Yes. But how we see this implemented right now, it's going to be on individual devices. But what you're saying is what would be great is if we said, this is our preferred font. If we're on Google Chrome, we're using it. This is our preferred font. We could say, and as we're designing websites, we could say overwrite for anybody's Lexand um, yeah. preferences. Oh, man, it goes to other levels. Because by the way, as you notice, some of those like, modes of Lexand are very intense. So from a design perspective, we have to deal with limitations. So let's say you have a two-column grid, right? You're going to have – this is what I'm saying. This is a huge revolution in typography. I really believe in that because the nature of response to typography 
because the thing like i I'm not, I'm not one to here to go, well, whatever, just let it be, be whatever it wants to be. Like completely just, wa just wash our hands of any type of graphic concerns. No, actually I say the opposite. We actually need to consider these things going forward. Because by the way, all the studies like Bonnie did were based on, you know, eight by 11 sheets of paper or on a screen of that dimension or nature. Uh, so as a result, what happens when you have mobile devices again in, in environments? What happens with multi-column environments? I, this is no. This is just my intuitions, and we need. This is the thing. It's exciting. We need more partners. We need more people interested in these topics of typography and, and responsive typography to work with on this. But the idea is, how do those limitations affect the optimal typographic fit? Hmm. That's the basic question. You know, the basic intuition is probably you try to get the maximum amount of spacing within the limitations allowed, because you have to deal with things like the measure and the line height and other questions that have to be answered too. Those are all more research questions to, to investigate, but because we have fluency as, to, as defined as words correct per minute, we now have a guide, a quantifiable guideline to investigate these research questions. That's, again, why it's a huge deal. The work has only begun, Diane. It's not even ended. It's only just begun. Because if you're noticing, you're kind of pointing out, a font is only good as how it's used. Now, yeah. That was very clear to me. That was clear to Bonnie and it's clear to everybody else involved in this project. Uh, but that's the point is that we're working on that uh, we need everyone's support, encouragement, and sharing the word out to get the, the kind of follow through and the execution done to make those things happen. And I think the stakes and the reward for success are that high. It's worth aiming for a great result. It is because I think that it helps. It Right now, if your school doesn't have Chromebooks or you don't have anything, it doesn't mean that Lexan can't help. It just means that you might have to print static fonts and see which ones are going to work for different kids right well i mean currently right now you still it has to be static fonts the static mode in google docs the google font platforms because they haven't they haven't update, updated their platform for variable fonts yet they're work. i know i believe they're working on it i'm not aware i'm not i can't quote do not quote me on that i don't know uh but uh right now it's still the static fonts but lexan is ready so once platforms support variable fonts we're ready to go so again we need the community to come together. We need the industry to come together. So Adobe, Microsoft, everybody. We need everybody on board because if they want to help children to read better and the world to read better, this is the greatest opportunity. It's worth the investment. But they got to be convinced that this worth, it's worth the investment of capital and energy to make the switch for variable fonts, both for print and web. Because the reality is a lot, not every place, everyone has Chromebooks. So this is why the print environment still really matters. There's still going to be a scenario where a teacher's going to need to find the optimal fit for the student and then use their personal laptop computer to print out the assignments and the worksheets for that student. So this is why the print world still matters in this context massively. But we need all the, we need all the partners and all the platforms to get on this train. Right. Absolutely. Just like when you're designing, when I'm designing a website, I'm not just leaving it all in desktop and just, oh, screw the rest of the people. Hope just get out your laptop. You're really thinking about how it's going to work. So you're talking about if it's two column on a desktop, it maybe on a tablet is just one column. And then on the phone, it's one column. And you're talking about your spacing or, or the size of the font uh, would change. And maybe this would all be part of what we're doing as we're making it's, this. Exactly. That's the mat. Like this is the next stack of responsive typography. Right. Responsive web design. It's the next step. So instead of just responding to the viewport, it's right. responding to the individual user, but it's still within a principal context, right? A design space that you're designing for. 
as a designer. So it still allows for the optimal beauty and, and effectiveness of what you're aiming for. This is, again, not to wash your hands of your desire right. activity responsibility. It's the opposite. It's actually a demand for our excellence and perfection of what we're trying to do. Absolutely. So a couple of people have said some things in the chat. So I just want to remind you guys to change your two to all panelists and attendees. Susan says, have you worked with, and this is probably more for Bonnie. This is all so for maybe, Bonnie. All research questions, Bonnie. <laughs> it says, have you worked with David Bolton of Children of the Code or Linda Mood Bell or the visual web, visual, sorry, website, Visual Thesaurus? Those would be my go-to experts on reading for the print world to take advantage and they would have to find the best of the seven fonts and then print on demand in that particular Lexan font for that child. Okay, um, so I have a couple more questions. One has to do with the Arabic um, because at some point you you have a friend who designs type in Arabic and uh, what your mentor. Well, not even friend, a mentor, uh, Nadine <laughs> Shaheen. She's the former type director of Monotype. So, so big person, big guns. And so she is now taking this same principle because really the Lexan is a principle of the expansion as well as the spacing. So spacing um, of the letter form as well as the spacing of the the counters, right? Yes, the the, Counter the space. internal spacing and the ex external spacing. You can think right. of that way. Expansion exactly. tracking, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so she's taking this and finding that even in Arabic, as it's, for us, it looks really stretched out. So the, the connectors that connect, I don't know what they're called. Yeah, so let's, let's talk more about that. So just some background before I share the screen again. Uh, so while working with Bonnie, for some reason, my mind was like, I know my, my mentor, Nadine, went back to school for PhD, and I know she did something related to legibility in Arabic. I, I don't know why, for some reason I had an intuition, like I feel like there's something in Nadine's paper that would speak to this. I don't know what made it, it made me feel like that was the case, but it did. So I found her PhD, I read the whole dissertation, and to my shock, I saw the analogies, I saw the connections, and I saw that this works, this actually folds up. Bonnie never spoke to Nadine, Nadine never spoke to Bonnie. They don't know each other at all. But they were speaking about things and, and the way they were talking about it, I saw the alignments. So I basically went in, I spoke to, I spoke to Bonnie about it first, got her agreement on that my, it, I was like, is my science right? <laughs> give, me, give me the deal that I have it understood or not. She's like, yes, you have it, you're good. I'm like, good, I went to Nadine. I was like, Nadine. She was like, yes, I was like, great. Put them two on the phone together. I found that we've made sure to verify that the alignments were correct. And I said, Nadine, you've been doing this study on legibility in Arabic. I see now. I see you actually have points of that. You have lines of questions for more study related to hyperexpansion of Arabic, just like the Latin. Would you be interested in working together on the Latin edition of Lexan? And she said yes. And then top it off, she has access to subjects, native speakers in Lebanon. So she would could do exactly the same as we did with the, with English, with the land system. This is like this is like uh, evidence based design going on here because now we're not just making designs, putting it out in the world. Go, we think this works. No, we're producing the results and we're getting empirical demonstration. And yes, you can argue with me that these are small samples or twenty subjects X Y Z. So these you can't infer that much from the sample. I agree, understood. But hey, listen, that's a lot better than most people in the design world. We, we do nothing, we do no research. So whatever. Give me a break when we talk about this. So that's our major project with Google. And now I'm going to share the part of the ISA presentation that talked about that. If I can find it. 
Uh, let's get this out. So the next was speculative interlude because this needs to be tested to be verified, but there's enough evidence from Nadine's dissertations and other secondary research from other resources that pointed out that hyperexpansion in Arabic and this nature similar to the land Laxand seems it would have a similar results. So here's a visualization where imagine we have a normal zero mode of Lexan and then by the variable font mode going out to 100, you see this fluid transition, right? And this is actually not in the full mode of it because this was an independent thesis from Nadine that I reproduced uh, for this website uh, that only did expansion between the letter forms, between the major characters. It didn't actually do inside the letter forms yet. Uh, so for example, the, the meme and the, the noon at the end, uh, those are not hyper-expanded yet, as an example. So this is not even a full manifestation of it, but it gets you an idea that there is understanding of this idea could apply to other script systems. Mm -hmm. And so we got this going. We're now missing, we've been commissioned for the Arabic, so we're doing that. And I have, high, I have suspicions that this will work for other script systems, such as Korean, for example. That's the most extreme mode of, of where this could go but we think there's reasonable justification for the investigation of it. And by the way, the beauty of it is we might be wrong. We might go for it and then it all sucks. <laughs> it doesn't work. We don't know. So we're going to have to go in there and find out what's going on. But it's worth the investigation. One of the things we talked about last time when we were doing the test call, you said, um, well, you know, you two people would just use the average, but something like this, somebody it's reading best at zero and somebody's reading best at a hundred. And so you don't just take something to 50 and you use the, the, if it was 140 degrees. Oh yeah. Analogy. Right. Yes. Yeah. So the, uh, again, the idea is I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm making all these examples of the kind of smack us away from the idea of the one average perfection. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just trying to smack that down in many different examples. So this is actually from Nassim Nicholas Taleb from a book called Anti-Fragile, where he talks about the nature that averages are very dangerous numbers to work with. They don't necessarily represent reality. It is true under certain circumstances. So for example, if you have a room, uh, anti-fragile, Susan, just so you know. Uh, if you have a room where the average, we have one room, we have two rooms, two rooms that have 70 degrees as the average, but one room, fluctuates, you know, 69, 71, 70, uh, 70, uh, 71.2, 89.5. Like within the hour, over the course of the hour, it stayed pretty close to the average of 70. Mm -hmm. You know, even though maybe only a couple times it was 70, but in actuality, it was a couple, a couple times lower, a couple times higher. You know, the average is a, is, is a reasonable metric. We can work with that. that is, that's a good representation of what occurred in that room for an hour. However, if I have another room that's also 70 degrees as an average, but for 30 minutes, it's zero degrees. And for 30 minutes, it's 140. Over the average, it's still 70 degrees. So that average actually never existed and qualitatively is a different reality from the first room as the example. So this is just meant to demonstrate that you can't trust averages uh, sign me up for the first room. Yeah, so unless you're in a sauna, unless you're in like a Turkish bath and you're signing up for the ice plunge and then you <laughs> go for the hot blazing room. So, so just, but yes, generally you want to sign up for the first room and the second room as an example. Uh, 
but that's an important understanding that averages is a way no no the ice flush for me actually i'm a big fan of those by the way they're actually you it's it's very refreshing i must say uh anyways that's a side note another talk on that um it's to remind you that the average because that's what designers do a lot is the, what's the average you know what's the average of the population for our design decisions that's only true in circumstances where there's a very clustered grouping of data again around the average but when there's extreme variation where in this case where we do need readers of extreme intervention even if they're a minority or a very small grouping they're still enough to justify that the average is not sufficient to work with you can't just use the average and go nope well because look at the study remember the study where even the best example the lexan the third level of it where it was nine people did the best with that okay say you just did that you set your type your website to that font you just omitted the best results for 11, 11 of the group of the sample. So that's so if you extrapolate out to a population, we're talking about more than over, 50%. yeah, over fifty yeah. percent is not going to be able to read or. But the thing is, not with read well, not read well, right, right. So, but the thing is with Lexin, not even about variable, just about the typeface. It if I was setting that, it is very. Um, it doesn't look like it's dumbed down, you know, it, it, it has a different look when it's expanded all the way out, I think, but I still think of, I think of ways that I would use that if I was setting, if I was going to set a whole type of, of website and that was going to be my main family and that was definitely going to be the family for the body, I could see how I could use some of those things. But what I love is that you're not just throwing things out. Like, oh, well, you're using that font. Oh, well, I guess your website's going to suck. Kind of like I feel like the uh, the websites that are using that other typeface that I don't want, the dyslexia or one of those, you know, it just sort of feels like, oh, well, then it's only for those people. And so it feels like this is more well-rounded and it also feels like, oh, well, everybody's different. It's okay. Like everybody's going to have a different reading. Just like my glasses. I don't think anybody's like, oh, she wears glasses. Oh my goodness. You know, like I think that it would be like a normal typeface that people could could read. It does absolutely. Brian says it feels more inclusive, and that's what I feel like. I don't, I don't think that if if his son is using Lexin, his friends wouldn't even know. You know, they'd be like, oh, you know, it just do you know what I mean? Like it's no, I have, yes. I mean, there's two parts of this. One is the idea that out of our diversity, there's still a unity, right? So there's yeah. that there's that first idea, right? So. Yes, that's exactly the main idea, that there's actually nothing different about you. You're just part of the diverse grouping of what makes us human beings. But we just, we're, but there's still a unifying principle that's, under, that's grabbable and understood across all the people, right? Now, this could be, I mean, depends. Scientists usually think it's because of nature perception, right? Nature of our eyes and our kind of processing that, and, and actually, I mean, I want to challenge that. Wait a minute, that's not true because but Nadine will speak more... Bonnie will speak more about this in the next call because one of the major things she was fighting against in all her 20 years of this argue, of her arguing for this art for this project was within within education and within kind of psychology they thought dyslexics had different pro cognitive processing mm -hmm. they thought their brain processed things differently so it's like no you're just different like you just like literally as you said Diane that feeling like oh they need to be different because right. their mental process is different this is showing that even if it, I'll have Bonnie speak about that because whatever. But the main point is, in the, regardless of that discussion, by this typographic factor, we can unify all these diverse people under one principle that holds. 
And it's a laundry principle that typographers always knew, that have been trained to understand. So it's just really empowering, both for those the readers, for parents, for teachers, and for design. It really validates us. It really gives us the true authority to actually know we're doing something good in the world and we contribute something really of high impact. Yes, absolutely. I, um, not that he'll t tweet me back, but I tweeted Roman Mars of 99% Invisible. I saw that. Thank you for that. Because I, I totally it. think that this is something he needs to put on his show. All right. So I always end with these three things. I can't wait to have the part two. I can't wait to get to meet you, Bonnie. And I thank you for coming today. Okay. So how, what do you do, Thomas, to recharge? So first one thing, what, what can we do to help get the word out about Lexan? Tweet about it, share it on social media, share on Facebook, on Instagram, sign up for the mailing list on Lexan.com. Stay updated for reports, share with your share with anyone that's struggling with reading with parents who have their children or are struggling to read with any educators, you know, get that word out. This is really important. This is not going to be, this is going to be about, this will be a campaign of word of mouth from the ground floor all the way up. And we need all of you, all 13 of you. And then when we're watching this later to put the word out on this. So that's the first thing you can do. All right. Yeah. So, so I put the, some of the links that are in the show notes, they'll be at recharging you.com slash three twelve. But the, these links will be, but if you're listening, that'll be where they are. But if you're here, I just put them in the chat. So there's the fonts.google.com where it says the Lexand. And then yours, um, thomasjockin.github.github.io slash L-E-X-E-N-D. Because the way Thomas says Lexand and the way I say Lexand are a little bit different. He says it and He's in one accent. I'm real I know, the new, southern the new, now. I'm the southern and the New Yorker, the fast-talking New Yorker. I know. It's fine. Anyway, and then you can always go. And I think you can sign up at lexend.com. And that's where you get on Bonnie's mailing list, I think, that will help you learn more about the study, correct? Yes, learn about the study, get updated for updates when we go when the variable fonts are released or when the, when the Arabic is out when the calibrator comes out. Yes, yeah, any updates about Lexan, definitely sign up to learn more about that. All right, so now answer the question about how you recharge. So here's the thing, I was thinking about this. I'm really not the best person to talk about that. I'll tell you why. I ended up in the hospital about two weeks ago. <laughs> From, uh, I started having art, uh, I started having arrhythmia of the heart. So I'm not the best person, I'm really not. Like what happened, basically the doctors more or less told me, Tom, you're having too much coffee and you're way too stressed out. You got to calm down, dude. Like this is too much. So I got, I'm, I'm just going to be forthright and tell you, I work way too hard and I really push myself too really aggressively. And my body at 33 is finally going, no mas, you're doing too much. So now since then I've cut the caffeine out, got the decaf, uh, spend a little more time walking, just doing things, you know, allocating explicit me time to go do stuff like go to nature Go check up yeah. with friends, you know, those things. But I'm just being honest. This is this is me being a chronic workaholic finally breaking himself uh because of the stress just finally getting to me uh at the end. So that's I'm just being honest with you about that one. No, I think that's great. So my friend Taylor, not Taylor who's here, another Taylor, he um at 28 ended up in the hospital and with AFib. Same thing, overworking, stressed out. And it um he's really changed he's did a talk about it and he'll be on the show in december talking about it because we're, it's like mental health and because a lot of it is but i kind of push myself too but so when you are okay so then take it to this 
decide. I hope I'm glad you're spending more time in nature. Absolutely. Um, Cause I do think that that helps people feel better and more um, at peace. We're on human. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what, where do you go to get um, new ideas then or what inspires you? Well, I can answer very easily. That's very, that's actually much more. I mean, honestly, that's what it keeps my, keeps the soul going, honestly. You know, I love, I love when I, I love teaching. I love when students really grab an idea they didn't know before. I love when they open up new potentials they didn't know they had before. I love when I see, I love when I see good souls doing great things. Mm. You know, when they're doing a really great project, when they overcame a big challenge, you know, when, you know, even when friends say hello to each other, they haven't seen each other in a while. Like those are really beautiful things that I really enjoy seeing. That really gives me a lot of inspiration, I have to say. I love that. All right. So what would advice, what advice would you give your 22-year-old Thomas? So this was funny. Uh, I actually wouldn't say, I would not give much advice to my, to my younger self, to be honest. Okay. Actually, no, really, because I actually think one of the beauties, like now that I'm 33, right? Looking, we're looking, so you're basically asking for the 10-year look back, basically. Right. You know, you know, I do that. Part of the things I do when I'm in nature or like kind of hanging out is I do that reflective thinking about time in the past. Mm -hmm. I, I guess you do more as you get older, I guess, because you just have more things to think about. <laughs> uh, and I actually think I'm quite blessed in the sense that, you know, I've always, even no matter, no matter the hardships or the struggles or disappointments and the challenges, I was always true to myself. And that's a kind of blessedness that you, I don't think I can ever ask more from for myself, right? That... I can look back in my past and know that I was always true to myself because it's not like it, you, you, uh, who you are to be in this position, let alone actually at 23. I definitely didn't. Uh, yeah. But you made some choices, some hard choices that other people wouldn't have made when they, and people can watch their, the, it'll the be in the show episode. notes. Yeah. The first episode, which was really the second time we talked because I, I forgot to hit record. But, um, but I think that that those choices were hard and, um, Maybe, maybe it isn't. Well, what advice would you, when you have a kid who's really struggling in your class, what would you tell them? Well, let me clar I'll clarify though. Here's a very important, uh, because I agree with what you just said, right? Hard choices were made and dedication was given. So I can, but here's the thing though, just because I did that in the past, there's no guarantee I'll do it in the future. So mm -hmm. I usually, when people ask me this question, you know, what I would tell my younger self, I'd actually tell this, what I tell my older self. Okay. Tell me what you'd tell your older self. That's exactly the point. Don't ever, don't ever forsake the, what you believed in. Mm. You know, always know, know that sometimes, a lot of times the right action is not the easy action. Mm. And that the payout for that kind of self-respect from true competence and real self-authenticity, because you were true to what mattered to you the most. And you knew what was convenient, you did what was right across the board. That's a kind of pride and honor in that, that makes your life worth it, regardless of what happens. Now, I have no there's no guarantee in life that I'll be, I may have been blessed to have that last, last 10 years. There's no guarantee I'll have that 10 years from now. So I'm hoping if I listen to this in my future, I'll be reminded you know, of that idea that to always be true to myself and to be true to the principles that matter to me the most. Mm, I love that. So don't, don't give in to the fear when the, uh, the fears may be telling you to do something that's easier. The fear, arrogance, hubris. Mm. Yeah. convenience you know take your pick human beings are very fragile we're very fragile and just because we were per we we did something great once does not mean we do it again great again there's no guarantee if anything actually there's more chance you'll fail because <laughs> you're gonna arrogant and you won't do the proper small things the small, small details to mm -hmm. be teachable to learn the, to perceive the world 
with the eyes of someone trying to learn. So mm. the grab at the world, understand that you have much, the world's your teacher and you have much to learn. Mm. That's an important lesson that you should, that it actually gets harder to get older because you think you know the world and you don't. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's definitely something. The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> yes. All right. So the last thing is what's next. So we're, what can we expect do you know when Google's going to come out with the variable? I, I'm not in Google. I can't comment on those. But so you, you've done it. You've submitted it. It's done. done. It's, on, it's on GitHub. If, uh, if you're, okay, I'll say this. If you're a web developer and you want to use variable font technology of, of Lexan, the, the variable fonts are there. They're in the GitHub. So you're good to go. Now, if you're not a developer and don't want to code your own stuff, yeah, you just, well, you got to wait for that release from Google, but it's all ready to go. We have the calibrator to help you find your optimal typographic fit. Where will that be? The calibrator. We'll we'll link to it in the okay. once it's announced in public and by me public. Uh, we have the Arabic edition of it. We have it. That's and the, and then the studies produced for that, and and a lot of other work in terms of type in terms of responsive typography. Right, the idea of finding optimal typographic fit to the user in a way that's responsive to typographic demands. Like that's, that's a whole another project that has to be worked on going forward. So we have a lot of work to do. Anyway, it sounds awesome. Thank you so much for giving me your time. And then we'll figure out a time to do the next one. Yes. I really appreciate it. I think you've changed people's eye or turned people's lights on that didn't realize it. For me, it just is, it does feel inclusive for people who were slow or um, had trouble reading. And it just, it didn't feel like you had to put these special glasses on or have something special. It just, it didn't, it doesn't feel so alienating. And it just, it's a really beautiful typeface. Why did you choose um, sans serif over serif? The studies made it, it showed it was better. Simplicity of form and low contrast. Those are the basic two points. It's not to say there couldn't be a, a serif form that worked, but uh, the points from the study is, remember the study was Lexan against the series. The first, there, and there were two people that did best with Lexan normal. Like, so it's just a switch out from right. serif to sans serif. Uh, so we could, we could drum up the, art, the justification of why this is the case. I'm not interested in that because I, look, I, that's what the data shows us to deal with right now. Do you think there will be more studies? I know this is really a question for Bonnie, but. Yes, wait, next time for Bonnie for all those okay. questions. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Thomas. I really appreciate it. And guys, um, next week we have Chris Doe and he's going to be talking. Good guy. Very good guy. Super good guy. Um, going to be talking about, um, how he's learning and he reads a lot. And, um, the, the term expert, that's what we're going to be talking about next week on design recharge. I feel like I need uh, like the, you know, the, then the news or something. The anthem sound, the sound, the sound bite. <laughs> Hey, thanks for watching. I just wanted to tell you about who this episode is brought to you by. It's brought to you by the patrons. We have two challenges here in September. It's a choice challenge. So thank you to the patrons. I'm excited to have them um, supporting the show. And if you are one of them, thank you so much. And I hope that you'll join us for this challenge. Go to patreon.com slash Diane Gibbs to support the channel and to see what we've got. I also added two videos last week or this past weekend. So you've got two new videos to watch as well. 
please uh, always, it's always a good idea to leave a review and leave a comment, share it with your friends. That's one of the best ways to support the channel and the podcast is to leave a review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcast. You can also subscribe to the channel um, on your podcasting places or on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. You can leave a comment on an episode and you can share it with your friends. So I would really appreciate that. Next week, Christo. Don't miss it. Hit like, subscribe.